Welcome to the Dutch Podcast, where integrative medicine providers and patients can learn about hormones and explore the body's most complex communication system. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Smeaton, Chief Medical Officer for Dutch. In this season of the Dutch Podcast, you'll hear from some of the brightest minds in integrative healthcare as we share new perspectives on hormones and challenge a few common misconceptions you might have heard in some circles. We'll bring you cutting-edge education ranging from beginner level to advanced, along with the validated research to back it up. Be prepared to think differently and deepen your understanding of how functional hormone testing can profoundly change the lives of patients. Welcome to this week's episode of the Dutch Podcast, where I have the pleasure of meeting with Dr. Annika Becca, the girlfriend doctor, and talking about all things menopause. Menopause is natural and mandatory. Suffering is optional. Any time of our lives that we're experiencing symptoms that are unpleasant, our body is trying to tell us something. And women are so good at even disconnecting from those symptoms. And I hear this time and time again, Jacqueline, I know you do too. They, they'll come back for their follow-up appointment and say, Dr. Anna, I didn't even realize how bad I was feeling till I started feeling good again. Now, her approach really comes from her own personal experience, which is really amazing. She went through kind of a premature early menopause, got her ovaries restored and was able to have a child and then went through natural menopause at 48. And through that process, she really learned a lot about hormone balance. Bioidentical progesterone is not associated with adverse cardiovascular events or breast cancer. And there was a huge difference here. And so over the last 20 years, I've been trying to teach this, train this, and um, inspire other physicians who just don't have the experience in this to look at it differently and to look at it through customizing care for patients. How to fix hormones and most importantly, how to help her patients through menopause. Now, what I think you're gonna love about this episode is one, she gets really specific about what you should be doing to feel great in menopause and for providers, things that you can do to be helping your patients. But truly, she takes a very action-oriented, focused approach that is really holistic. And I haven't heard providers talk about menopause in that way before, where they break down things like stress and joy, things that we think about with menopause and women going through this transition, but she breaks it down physiologically. So you'll really understand the why of why that's important. You're really going to enjoy this episode. Let's go ahead and dive in. Today, I have with me Dr. Anna Kabeca, the girlfriend doctor. She is a triple board certified OBGYN who is passionate about helping women understand and improve their health. Dr. Kabeca wants her patients to live happy, healthy, and vibrant lives, especially as they transition through menopause. I'm so excited because that's what we get to talk about today. Now, she spent years perfecting her life-changing programs that tackle symptoms like fatigue, depression, weight gain, loss of libido, vaginal dryness, and hair loss. Dr. Kabeca is also the author of three best-selling books. The Hormone Fix, Keto Green 16, Menu Pause, all geared towards helping women live their healthiest lives. And we are so excited to have you with us today. Thanks, Dr. Kabeca, for joining us. It is great to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Now, can we just start by talking about menopause and how did you become interested in helping women through menopause? Well, you know, I trained as a gynecologist and obstetrician. I'm still laughing because when you said, when we said hello, you're like, oh, I'm so excited to talk to you about menopause. I'm like, you'll be the first one <laughs> that is excited to talk about menopause. But it is, it's such, it really is an important topic that I'm passionate about because 
I myself went through early menopause at age 39 as a board certified OBGYN trained in hormones throughout the lifetime. So I thought, um, I was diagnosed with early menopause and infertility and I was, that was it. And my doctor's bag was empty. Mm. And so it, my personal story is that it took me on a journey around the world looking for answers. And as a result of that journey and experiences and superfoods and the hand and grace of God, I reversed early menopause and naturally conceived my daughter, the daughter I was, the child I was told I would never be able to have at age 41. And so um, now I'm 57 with a 16 year old and, and life is good. I got to keep my memory. I got to keep my mood. I got to keep mm. everything working. And yes. <laughs> and got another teenager in the house. <laughs> and thank you for sharing that story. It gave me chills. You know, I work in the field of fertility and I, you know, it's inspiring to hear about the success stories. And I think for women who are going through something similar, knowing that there can be hope is just such a relief, you know. And I think it's so inspiring too. Things we do for fertility is improving ovarian function, creating a body hospitable to new life, right? Mm -hmm. The things we do in menopause, you know, maintain ovarian and glandular function, adrenal function becomes really, really important. The same thing in our 70s, 80s, and 90s, maintaining glandular function and creating bodies inhospitable to cancer that are resilient and energetic and vibrant and lively. I mean, that's, that's what we get to do. And there's like, there's no time limit on it. So we can start wherever we're at with these same principles that improve our fertility, improve our menopausal transition, improve our bones, improve our brain, improve our cardiovascular system. There's, you know, there's so much we can do. And honestly, it's really not that complicated. Yeah. I saw this great like meme on Instagram this morning that was like a quote that said, you know, I woke up 37 today thinking about how I wish I could be 19 again, but then I had to frame shift. And instead I'm waking up today, 37, you know, looking at what I'm going to be like when I'm 40 and thinking now I have the chance to do it a different way. And that's what, what your statement reminds me of is like, a lot of this is proactive. And, you know, I'm in my early 40s, but I was talking to someone, I had a shoulder separation a couple of weeks ago just from lifting weights that are like the weight I lift all the time. And it's like you get to a point where you do the same things and start to break. And that can be very inspiring to strengthen and prepare because it's only going to become harder later on. And I, it sounds like a lot of women that come to see you around perimenopause and menopause come in with that frame of mind of like preparation and living with vitality for a longer period of time. And there's those that come in at a complete loss and disoriented because feeling their body has betrayed them. Oh like, yeah. What is happening? Like just even thinking of your story of dislo you know, dislocating your shoulder, doing the same thing you used to do and thinking, okay, wait, am I limited now? Or is this an opportunity to make sure that I'm strengthening the collateral muscles and I'm, you know, warming up more or I'm flexing more and I'm cooling down more? I'm like, I guess as I say that I think of ice baths and mm -hmm. it's still on my to-do list unchecked. But I'm going to get there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to get there. But the things like looking at it as opportunities. And it's a, I always tell women, menopause is natural and mandatory. Suffering is optional. 
any time of our lives that we're experiencing symptoms that are unpleasant, our body is trying to tell us something. And women are so good at even disconnecting from those symptoms. And I hear this time and time again, Jacqueline, I know you do too. They, they'll come back for their follow-up appointment and say, Dr. Anna, I didn't even realize how bad I was feeling till I started feeling good again. That's amazing. That is so yeah. amazing that we just power through and power through because we can. You know, yeah, I see that a lot as well. And it's usually the first visit is like the basics, right? You're waiting on labs. You haven't put in a as customized of a treatment plan as you might, but you have people focusing on things like sleeping, resting, exercising, like even just getting walks in, nutrition, and how transformative that can be from the get-go for people. And you're right. Once you get a taste of how good you can feel, you don't want to go back. You, know? you don't want to go back, you know? Yeah, and, and then when you start slipping, you're like, okay, let me pull myself back up from my bootstraps. And this is where good community comes into play and I really work on creating that. And I think that's the thing, like we want to be, you know, when you're ahead of the curve, like you got to surround yourself with people that are doing the same thing that you're doing and that can support you when you falter too. So you know, brings me to thinking, okay, of our visits, right? That initial clinical visit when we're ordering tests and we're thinking about, you know, how are we following up? And one of, I don't know if you know this, but I've lectured on the different ways we test people. And is it blood? Is it saliva? Is it urine? Is it, you know, we're looking at stool and I always tell my patients, I'm going to look at every body fluid you have at some point or another during your course of working with me. And that includes vaginal fluid. So it tells us something. I mean, they all tell us something. And, um, you know, it's, it's so important to look at, look at the, you know, look at these different, you know, signs, signposts to help a patient really customize and optimize their care. Absolutely. So when women come in to see you around the time of menopause, what are the things that they're most often complaining about that they're really looking for you to address? I mean, we think about the classic hot flashes, but there's yeah. a whole cluster of things I'm sure women are coming for help with. Yeah, the biggest one, and we survey our audience to say, okay, what are your biggest complaints? Like if you could fix one thing, what would it be? And so the top three things are fatigue. That's fatigue. Mm. And the second is hot flashes, makes them miserable. And the third is waking. Those are the top three that are like, if I could just fix one thing, these are the top ones. So sexual dysfunctions in there. I was like, hey, you know, get me feeling more energy. I guess sex will come, you know, like, but it's not one of the top. Incontinence is a big one too. It's on that list, but it's fatigue, it's waking, and it's hot flashes. Okay. Now, tell me a little bit about for each of those, like for our listeners, what's going on that those tend to worsen around the time of perimenopause and menopause? You know, it's, um, it's, uh, you know, I think about it now, you know, I'm, I'm past menopause. So I went through early menopause at 39, then dove down, you know, spiraling down at 48, fine, you know, and then that's how I created my books and programs, what I call the keto green way and, and learned about that and why I say it takes more than hormones to fix your hormones. Mm. And, um, and now at, at 56, official, now I'm 57, but at 56 officially postmenopausal, but yet I still have a teenager in the house. So I'm thinking when you're going through menopause and you're raising kids, I mean like there, that's enough to make you crazy, let alone fatigue. Imagine. 
right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I have to laugh at that one. But it's also we're wearing many hats as women, but and our hormones have dipped. So mid thirties, progesterone, DHEA, are on the decline, and those are part of our building block hormones, and um, that that plays a big role in it. And with that decline in progesterone, it's underestimated how much that affects our sleep, which mm -hmm. is leading to decreased energy, mitochondrial insufficiency, and inflammation. So, and weight loss resistance, right? Insulin resistance from not sleeping enough from the hormonal decline. So there's that part of it. And as we age, our, you know, while our horm reproductive hormones start to decline, insulin and cortisol start to increase. So we see an increase in these pro, you know, essentially uh, problematic hormones or catabolic hormones. So we have to fight those. And as a gynecologist and obstetrician, I mean, I spent years studying the cascade from pregnenolone, progesterone, DHEA, testosterone, estrogen, the metabolites, the enzymes, this, that, and the other thing that you guys, you know, know so well. And what I realized at that second perimenopausal journey at 48 was that it was insulin and cortisol I needed to harness. And, and that's why I say there's a hormonal hierarchy with all our hormones, reproductive hormones at the, I like to give an example, our, all our reproductive hormones or the hundreds of hormones in our bodies, consider that students at a university. And each one has its own mission, its own mindset, its own responsibilities, et cetera. And consider the professors of that university insulin and cortisol. Mm -hmm. And then the dean, the president of the university, is the most powerful hormone in our bodies, and that is oxytocin. And if we are, if like, imagine if the, the dean of the university is absent or in the professors are drinking, coming to class drunk or high the student body's a wreck. So, I mean, it, it trickles down that way. So you can focus on one hormone, like, like you know, if you're, you're myopically focused on thyroid, you're not addressing cortisol, you're never going to get that person well. Yeah, that's exactly what came to mind is the, the thyroid. And I love that analogy that you give. And I love that we're talking about this because even amongst providers, even in the functional medicine space, I don't know if you see this too, but a lot of providers look only at the end endocrine organ. Like if they're, you know, the thyroid is off, they look at the thyroid. If the um, estrogen and progesterone are off, they look at the ovaries or they treat that. But I think you're so spot on that it's so important to look back at some of those key regulating aspects. And I love that you put cortisol in with that as well. Um, you know, that's a, a hormone that we talk a lot about at the Dutch test because we test for that in a, a lot of different ways we absolutely see that connection. And, you know, cortisol is a great hormone. It's a really important hormone for our overall health because it is an anti-inflammatory. It has so many benefits that that's why it goes up during times of stress. It helps us quite a lot. But when it gets dysregulated, like you said, it's basically like your professor showing up high. I love that, that um, analogy that you give. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that. So tell us a little bit more about like how are those connected? Like and why do you focus on the insulin and the cortisol? Yeah. So it's it's part of that experience that I had as a hormone expert, you know, when I was 48, my hormones were dialed in, you know. I knew my optimal ranges for my progesterone, my estrogen, even DHEA and testosterone and working on those, I'd been working on them, but you know, when everything you're doing isn't 
or everything you used to do isn't working. You're like, well, what the heck is going on? And that's, um, at that time in my life, I started gaining weight without doing anything different. Oh my God, Jacqueline, when my patients come in and say, Dr. Anna, I'm gaining five, 10, 20 pounds and I'm not doing anything different. Believe me, I used to not believe them. Mm-hmm. And then it happened to me. And I was like, oh God will make me humble. And, you know, having been well over 240 pounds at one point, losing that weight and keeping it off for a decade, that weight gain was troublesome. So that is what took me into my exploration of keto and low carbohydrate restricted eating, but I was not like, I felt like I was hitting a wall when I checked my urine pH and I was as acidic as the urine pH paper read. In other words, I was peeing acid. And that for me was an aha moment. It's like, okay, you know, I'm like burning bone and muscle here. No wonder I'm like not doing well on this. And I had known about keto because I have a daughter, my uh, oldest daughter has seizures. And so I'd studied the ketogenic diet for her and, and for my patients with Canada, low carb, right. With things that we would do to help them. But I felt like I was hitting a wall and in perimenopause, menopause, when progesterone plummets, that's a neuroprotective hormone. I mean, you're, you know, you're playing with fire, even, you know, if you're not addressing that hormone. And so it's really something to consider. But what I recognized, I started adding alkalinizers back in, this is in 2014, adding minerals and bone broth and greens and the fermented foods and all that stuff. But I recognized, Jacqueline, is the, and I checked my urine pH every time I went to the bathroom, like end of one, studying, you know, measuring everything to see what I needed to do to get out of this downward spiral. And I recognized that the days I did my gratitude journaling or walk on the beach, I, my urine pH was more alkaline all day. So it led me back into renal physiology, of course, <laughs> where else would you go? So no, anyway, I, so I was like, okay, well, what's going on here? And cortisol increases hydrogen ion secretion across the renal tubules, creating that acidic urine pH. And was such an aha moment for me the counteract to cortisol, what's happening when I'm gratitude journaling, what's happening when I'm walking on the beach, I'm increasing my oxytocin. And so oxytocin trumps cortisol every single time. And it's the most alkalinizing hormone in our body. So this is the point that you can be eating the most amazing gourmet foods, green foods, organic and everything. But if your mind is stressed, your mind stuck in trauma, your mind's in emergency SOS mode, that's cortisol. You have to retrain. You had to, I had to retrain my mind. I had to keep focusing with looking at that urine pH, focusing on gratitude, focusing on love, what I'm thankful for, all of that to really optimize my physiology. And, um, and so that's how I really understood, you know, cortisol and, and um, it's cortisol and its relationship with oxytocin. But where insulin came in, is I started doing, you know, like I felt amazing getting in both ketosis and alkaline and with an alkaline urine pH at the same time. So what I call my keto green way. And so I put my, you know, early in 2014, I brought eight of my most difficult patients um, to my living room and we met weekly and I had them do the same thing I was doing. And their hot flashes were going away. They were losing weight. I'm like, what's going on with the hot flashes? Because I'm not giving them hormones. And um, insulin resistance is the number one reason for unrelenting hot flashes that people can experience for decades. And, you know, they just, they think the answer is estrogen in medicine. It's not. It's increased that insulin sensitivity. 
and it goes away. My online groups, my magic menopause program, people I never even see in person within two weeks, hot flashes disappearing. And I was, you know, I had to ask what's changing their physiology, what's going on, that insulin sensitivity piece makes all the difference. And that's why it's one of those ruling hormones. Gosh, there's so much I want to say around when ask around what you just shared. I mean, first of all, like the insulin resistance piece is so interesting. And, you know, I haven't looked at this information in a long time, but I remember learning about menopause and reading that there are cultures in the world, like more traditional cultures, like the Kung tribe in Africa that don't experience menopause the way we do in the Western world. They do have cessation of menses, but they don't experience the negative symptoms. And so, you know, from that anthropology point of view, it's like, well, is that because it's culturally looked at differently where you're entering into a place of greater wisdom versus like more wrinkly skin or however we think about it here in the U.S.? But when you think about things like insulin resistance and being on a traditional diet, you know, that really clicks and makes a lot of sense as to how cultures could experience menopause so differently. Yeah, absolutely. And I would imagine that culture is living in the sun. So vitamin D is necessary for every single hormone receptor in our body and for our hormones to work. Low vitamin D, low progesterone sensitivity, right? Yeah. So, so, you know, low oxytocin and low vitamin D. And also look at southern regions of the world, more vitamin D, more oxytocin happier in general. Okay. No offense to my Northern friends. I'm in the North, but you're smart to be in Texas where the sun shines (laughs) quite a lot more than it does up here. Now, the other thing that really I find fascinating is your discussion on oxytocin, because when I think about menopause, you know, we think about the traditional physical symptoms that women present with, but in my experience clinically, it's a time of transformation in other ways as well. And so you're you know, raising the fact that, you know, lowering stress by things like a gratitude journal and focusing on things that bring you joy, that raise oxytocin can be so transformative physically for women is such a beautiful and fascinating. And I think so important, like such an important piece to look at. Like this is a time where women like rethink their life decisions and realize I only have so much time left. What do I want to do with it? And I see a lot of people make really big changes, whether it's career changes, relationship changes, traveling more, picking up that hobby you always wanted to do. You know, it seems like that's all kind of tied in, in a really, really, really neat way for women. And I think it the, to look at it that way, it's a time of opening up, not shutting down. And in Japan, in my most recent book, Menu Pause, I talk about menopause around the world, and um, and uh, what I realized in in that work and that research for the book that the Japanese use the term koninki for this time of reproductive cessation. And that literally means second spring. And I love looking at this time of our life as the second spring of our life. And it's not that we're running out of time. It's like, think about it. We're, you know, 50 and we may have another 50 years, at least maybe another 30 on average, 82 for women. How do we want to live those years? I mean, that's a chunk of time. Think what you can do in 30 years. Like, how do you want to live? What do you want that to look like? You know, and I look at, okay, I'm 57. I've probably got another 50 years. So how, you know, I got to, Damn it, I got to go to the gym because, you know, I got to have strong bones when I'm 107, you know, whatever. I'm going to keep doing that yoga 
stretching, whatever, stand on the power, all those good things, get my sleep, focus on the, the good care to my body right now because I'm maintaining it to last another 50 years. And think about what do you, you know, what do you want to be doing? Who do you want to be surrounded with? What do you love? Those are the oxyto, like attracting oxytocin moments into our lives. Those experiences, not the things, the people, the love, the feelings, and how we have the opportunity to do it. If we're giving, like we have to continuously restore this temple of our spirit or cathedral. I like to think about the cathedral of our spirit so that we can, um, and really enjoy those experiences. I like looking at it that way at 57, my perspective. Well, I'm so glad you shared that perspective. I really resonate with that. And I think you're right that looking at menopause in that more holistic way can just add so much for our patients as well. So I want to talk a little bit about how does conventional medicine, like with your traditional OBGYN training, how are women in menopause treated and managed when it, when they come forward with symptoms or, you know, the complaints, like you mentioned, fatigue, weight loss, weight loss resistance or weight gain and hot flashes. Yeah. Yeah. These are really, and it's really, um, unfortunate how conventional medicine has really mismanaged women, um, from, you know, what we thought, I mean, I thought birth control pills were no harm for women when I was prescribed until I realized 20 years ago that progestins had this, was not progesterone and had this terrible negative side effect panel. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and consequence long-term. And so, and the same with the synthetic progestins in 2002, that I knew because I was a researcher before I went to med school from the research, I knew it was the progestin component, not the estrogen and progesterone, because even at that time we had Dr. Fournier's study out of France, looking at women with bioidentical progesterone. I think that first research came out in 2005 and that was bioidentical progesterone is not associated with adverse cardiovascular events or breast cancer. And there was a huge difference here. And so over the last 20 years, I've been trying to teach this, train this, and um, inspire other physicians who just don't have the experience in this to mm -hmm. look at it differently and to look at it through customizing care for patients and empowering patients in their care versus symptom care. I had a patient, oh my gosh, a 30, I mean, this is even menopause, right? 39 year old patient came to see me uh, a week or so ago. And she'd um, in July was having severe depression, anxiety, and um, she was just given Zoloft by her primary care provider. And like she took it for three days and fell to wreck. And then any, anyway, ended up coming across my work, started with me and, and then came in to see me and I'm like, well, what workup have you had? Well, I didn't have a workup, you know, I didn't have any, anything checked. And I'm like, you know, do her history. She's bleeding like very heavy. And first of all, that needs to be worked up. Secondly, like she's severely anemic with an iron of nine. I mean, she's a ferritin of 11. I mean, we want that over 50. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, no wonder she's depressed and doesn't feel good, you know, and she's so anemic. Like, how can you just treat that with, with Zola? So this is a 39 year old, but now another patient came in with a 40, a 49 year old recurrent urinary tract infections. No one's addressing vaginal atrophy 
no one's addressing, you know, I mean, that's an important, that's perimenopausal symptom. And that need or back to, you know, recurrent bacterial vaginosis. I'm sorry, but that's like a perimenopausal symptom too. We can call it out during that time because of the change in pH of the vagina because of the loss of progesterone, estrogen, DHA, and testosterone. So these are, these are just typical mismanagement or here, let me put you on a birth control pill till you're, you know, 52 or whatever. And that way, you know, you're, you're not having crazy periods and everything else. That's mismanagement. So, and that's also suppressing the important organs, the important ovaries that are a marker of longevity, healthy, long functioning ovaries are a marker of longevity. And so they, you know, when we put them on birth control pills, we're suppressing their own body's natural hormone productions. That's mismanagement. That's mismanagement. So there's so many ways between the antidepressant, between the birth control, between not looking at nutritional insufficiencies, not evaluating hormone detoxification. First of all, if I'm going to put you on something, a hormone, a synthetic hormone, especially, but how is your body getting rid of these hormones? And that's where, you know, looking at hormonal metabolites in the urine, like with the Dutch test are become so valuable. Mm -hmm. And, um, man, I can, I can just go on. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the other thing that I hear from patients that come in to see me for a different approach is, just like complete dismissal of their concerns by their provider. Like, well, that's just part of aging. You know, mm-hmm. you just have to deal with that the rest of your life, you know? And I think that, you know, again, mismanagement, like you said, it's like, like you had said before, you have to get older, but you don't have to suffer while right. you do it, you know? So to where does like this functional medicine approach fill the gap in menopause? It seems like there's just so many fantastic options available for women that are going through this transition time from the lifestyle changes to that kind of social emotional support. You know, can you tell me a little bit about like the hierarchy of how you address this with patients when they come in to see you? Yeah, definitely. So I, I, my first book, it's really my magnus opus. It's called the hormone fix. I really think that is required reading. And the, the first thing I always do, okay, what gets measured gets managed. So let's test. Sometimes it's just questionnaires and, and, Chapter two is questionnaires and, and recommended blood test or urine test, et cetera, things that we can look at to investigate and look at, okay, well, you know, what's our, what's our first thing that we're going to do? We want you to low inflammatory foods, modified elimination diet. And I want to detox your body because you're, you know, just like you take your car in for an oil change to get it running keep it running well. I mean, having a cleanse, doing a detox, supporting phase one and phase two detoxification is critical to hormone balance, making sure you're having bowel movements every day. I had a patient in the office yesterday. She has a bowel movement every 10 days. Like, how do you even get out and be like, how do you live? Like, that's Mm. terrible. I mean, I get it. I understand how that can happen and be normal, but it is not optimal. So bowel movement every day is normal. Anything else is abnormal. And so understanding that, like, okay, now we got to move your bowel. So this is where digestive, you know, stool analysis comes into play to make sure that, you know, we've got the gut optimized because so many of the hormones produced and metabolized in in the gut, the estrobolone. And so we want to look at that. And um, so make sure they're having bowel movements and then sleep. Sleep is where we really do get that refresh and restoration phase. So how are we getting them to sleep in the perimenopause, menopause? I, you know, I use, I use, you know, morning and evening 
uh, rituals that they can do, like sunrise, sunset, triggers for the brain. I use supplementation, like my Mighty Maca Plus supplementation to support detox and adrenal function. And, you know, if we need to use magnesium L-threonate in the evening, melatonin, certain things to help them get a better night's sleep. So I like to add those on board too, to focus on that. And that's often, you know, a huge shift in them. And, and this is because we've coined hormone replacement even as like a standard of care. But mm -hmm. if we look at it, and I like to say, and I coined the term hormone replenishment, we want to replenish our hormones, not replace them. We want to produce our body to produce as much hormones naturally as possible. We know the 65-year-old ovary is still producing hormones. So if we can, and the adrenals for our entire life. So if we can keep our glands healthy longer and the toxic burden low, we're going to optimize function. And that's the approach that I, I like to take. And I will say I went to, you know, I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on my education, prime years of my life, decades, and to tell people to, you know, think well, eat well, drink well, sleep well, move well, <laughs> to love well, to be well. It's amazing. I think you're right. The more you learn, the more the answer comes back to the absolute basics, you know, but it was an education well worth it to get there, <laughs> right? Well, this has been really wonderful. Your your approach to working with menopausal women is holistic and in, in its real in its true sense of the word. And I absolutely love that. I know that a lot of our listeners are going to want to know how can they learn more or hear more from you. Um, want to share a couple of good resources for people. You've mentioned your books and we'll link those in the show notes. Um, but other than that, how can they learn more about the work you're doing or how to work with you? Thank you. Yes, definitely on my book, The Hormone Fix. And then my website is dranna.com, D-R-A-N-N-A.com. And um, a lot of free resources and information there and on social media at The Girlfriend Doctor. Awesome. Well, it's been a real pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you loved hearing from Dr. Anna like I did and you really loved her approach to menopause and want to know more, you are in luck because Dr. Kabeca recorded a bonus episode with me shortly after our initial podcast. There's so much more to talk about when it comes to treating menopause in a big area we didn't get the chance to talk about was hormone replenishment. This idea that you want to help to restore the body's levels of hormones that start to change during menopause. So Dr. Kabeca was so great and stayed on with me to talk a little bit more about the, what she would test before putting a woman on hormones, then what types of hormones she uses, and then how to follow up with that to make sure that you're really monitoring that patient for optimal impact. So if you want to check that out, you can find our bonus episode with Dr. Kabeca. I hope you enjoy it. We are so glad you joined us today for this in-depth conversation. If you want to learn how Dutch testing can help you profoundly change your patients' lives, visit us at dutchtest.com providers. There, you can become a provider and gain access to exclusive hormone education, like our new Dutch interpretive guide and the Mastering Functional Hormones testing course, a self-paced online course designed to help you become a hormone expert. If you enjoy listening to the Dutch podcast, please help us spread the word by commenting and sharing the show on your favorite streaming app. Also, stay connected with us by following at Dutch Test on Instagram and Facebook 
where you'll find even more news, education, and provider resources. Thank you again for joining us today. Come back next week for more.